Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. This is Bill D'Alessandro, and today I am with Michael Girdley and Heather Anderson, and we are talking about a hot chili business from Taos, New Mexico. They have a retail store in downtown Taos, a live cam of downtown Taos on their website, and they sell chili powder and salsa and New Mexico goods online as well out the back door. Um, so it's a cool discussion about a local business, what I call a mullet business, uh, retail in the, in the front, uh, e-commerce in the back. Uh, and then we also get into a really interesting discussion on the back half of the pod with Heather about uh, kind of asymmetric bets of SBA loans, and then also what to do uh, if you find yourself in trouble on an, on an SBA loan. So a really good example of how we start talking about one thing and it can really pull out some gems uh, from some of some good stories. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. Hey, Michael here. Want to talk to you about today's sponsor for the episode, uh, which is cloudbookkeeping.com. Uh, so Cloud Bookkeeping is actually run by my neighbor, Charlie. So I've met him in person and uh, can attest that he's a real human being and a good person. Uh, and what Cloud Bookkeeping does is offer a full suite of bookkeeping services uh, all in the cloud. Uh, for you around QuickBooks and other technologies that you're using as a small business owner. Uh, so if you're interested in getting the bookkeeping part of running a business off of your plate and focusing on running your business, uh, Charlie and his team are one to call. Um, they can put together a bunch of other stuff in terms of helping you manage and grow your business besides just bookkeeping, um, sophisticated reporting, uh, definitely helping you get your QuickBooks online set up in the right way. Uh, and a number of things around payroll as well. So uh, definitely know them and recommend them. If you want to find out more about Cloud Bookkeeping, um, you can go to their website at cloudbookkeeping.com. Uh, reach out to Charlie. I know many of you have uh, and see if he can help you uh, make your running your business easier and more fun by uh, letting them help with a lot of the bookkeeping solutions. So, uh, and when you call, mention this podcast. Uh, it would help us uh, and help Charlie know uh, that we're supporting him as well. So thanks a bunch and cloudbookkeeping.com uh, as the sponsor for today's episode. Heather, thank you for bearing with me today. I have a cold, just like the whole rest of the United States. Yeah, I, I felt like uh, you're just with everybody else. I don't know how I've managed to avoid it so far, but knock on wood, I have not been sick yet. So I'm super happy about that. And I'm super excited. This is our early morning recording session, at least for me on the West Coast. And I am feeling better than ever because I got a new coffee maker and I like the caffeine delivery is amazing. <laughs> Are you like a fancy, like grind up your own coffee, like, you know, tamp it all down, everything? Is that you? Well, I didn't have an espresso maker. I do always grind my own. I've been very picky about it, but it's been drip coffee. And so this is the first time I got an espresso, you know, a machine that does all that fancy stuff. And of course, this morning I wanted to, it was my first time trying it. So I tried several drinks. And so now I'm like, yeah, pretty hyped up. <laughs> well, you are lit up. <laughs> now there's four espressos in. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice. So I, I have, I mean, this is like how lame I am. I'm, I'm not, a, I drink coffee, but I'm not like a huge coffee person. We got a Nespresso, which Ooh, yeah, I you like as an espr espresso person yeah. may now look down your nose at me because well, I'm using the pods, but uh, I love it. It has changed my coffee routine. It's really yeah. cool. 
I, I discovered that actually going on vacation in Europe and all the little, that's what you get in your, in your hotel room. And that, it's excellent. I think it's, I mean, for, for what it is, it's, it's excellent coffee. So. Yeah. No. It's it really, I also used to be a K cup curry guy and now I realized those were really trash. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> really bad. Yeah, the espresso is way better, way better. Way better. Yeah, yeah. Mine has a little, like you fill it with milk and it like does the, like frost the milk. Yeah. So I can't imagine what you're, I am like, I am at the echelons. Like, it's like an incredible. I am living in a coffee shop now. It's amazing. Awesome. We eventually we should do a, like a coffee machine business. I bet those are. Yeah, that that would be fun. That would be fun. Someone find Uh, one for us. All right. Well, speaking of businesses, uh, this isn't coffee, but it will wake you up. We have a chili pepper business today. Right, Tyler? Yes, this is a great one. We found this on biz by sales. You want me to go ahead and read it? Let's read it and I will put it up on the screen for our YouTubers. All right. Okay. So the headline is Ecom, an on site retail store for Southwestern products, 1.3 million revenue in Taos County, New Mexico. Uh, asking price is 2,274,998. I, I'm exactly. not exactly sure. <laughs> exactly. Cash flow is 220. <laughs> <laughs> and cash flow is 227,831. Uh, gross revenue, a million three oh four. Um, business description, a, uh, a following 20 years in the making with profit growth since 2013. Backstory, originally inspired by another successful SEO-friendly brand, this business brought the authentic Southwestern products people love into people's homes with a few clicks of a button. Uh, since its founding in 2005, the business has become the number one online source for New Mexico salsa Hatch green and red chili powder and salsa. It offers authentic, locally sourced Native American and Spanish arts, crafts, decor, and gifts from a beautifully designed website with streamlined checkout and payment processes. On fire and getting hotter. Ooh, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Offering more products and more sophisticated CRM and profit analytics tools than its competitors, this business has seen gross profits steadily uh, rise since 2013. Its latest T12 revenue came in at 1.3 million with cash flowing at 228,000. It boasts an average order value of $66.75 and return customer rate of 35% so far in 2023. Your transition. The owner who is planning their retirement is ready to pass on the beloved brand that they'll, that they've built up over 20 years. They'll arm you with a detailed description of operations and make themselves available for you two to three months for two to three months as you get up and running, then as for as long as you need thereafter. You'll inherit a full-time staff of four and 135,000 email contacts primed for the next big campaign ideas. Located in Taos, New Mexico, Taos County, New Mexico, the real estate is leased and the inventory is included, which is uh, nice to hear. We, we like that. Uh, listed by Dylan Gans of Baton Market. What do you think, Bill? Okay. So I, I have a cold today. I could really use some chilies. I think that would be good for me. <laughs> uh, so am I right that this thing is priced at 10 X cash flow? Yes, that is correct. That's okay. rich. Yeah. So they got, they make $225,000 a year and they want to sell it for $2.2 million. So that is obviously off market. I was expecting when I saw that multiple that there would be like, a piece of real estate included or you know something that was driving that up but it says the real estate is leased so i've got 
you know, our friend Dylan Gans here from Baton Market who lists this business, not touching his face, not wearing a hat, but also not willing to be honest with his sellers about what their business is probably <laughs> worth. <laughs> he's shy, maybe. Maybe he's shy. Yeah. Yeah, they they definitely, this is one of those listings where it's just way too high out of the gate and they're going to let, the, the broker's probably going to let the market teach the seller that that's too high and hope that they'll eventually come down. I have that conversation with a lot of buyers because when they first start looking, they think the list price is like what they should be paying and they're sort of getting sticker shock. And I just tell them, you know, unfortunately, most of the time, the, these businesses aren't going to sell anywhere close to what they're listed for. Um, so this, this, I feel compelled to discuss this. This is, I think, one of the most unethical pieces of broker behavior that I see often in the marketplace, right? And I don't know if our friend Dylan did this or not, but I have seen other brokers do this personally. Um, we were working with a seller. Uh, we were trying to buy a business that was off market. And we knew that in a certain e-commerce brokerage that I would really like to name, but I think they'd probably be pretty mad at me. Um, not quite light, of course. Uh, I love those guys, but one of one of Quiet competitors, in fact, uh, I found out they were calling this lady and telling her that her business would sell for seven or eight times revenue, or sorry, seven or eight times EBITDA. And we were not offering that. And she was basically saying, these, these guys are telling me it's worth more than you're offering. So I had my corp dev guy call in to the broker and say, hey, I'm just trying to do a market check. What are, you know, we hear you're telling people in the marketplace, you know, seven times plus, like, is that really what you guys are seeing? Like, if so, we'd like to sell some of our businesses, right? And uh, the broker goes, yeah, well, you know, a lot of times we just kind of tell the sellers what they need to hear uh, in order to get us signed up. And then we let the market sort it out. And I went, that is the most, I can't believe you just admitted that to me. Like, that's the most unethical thing I have ever heard. Because the yeah. way this works, right, is you're a seller, you sign a deal with a business broker, and they have a two-year tail on the agreement, which means if you sell a business at any price over the next two years, they're going to get a fee. So there's this incentive for the broker to promise the moon. Yeah. And, you know, you, the seller, are like, oh, well, this broker offered me the most money. I guess I'll just sign with him. Uh, and then, the, you know, the market, the bids only came back at 4X. I know we told you eight, but, you know, what do you want to do? And you're six months into a process. You're exhausted. You've already mentally checked out. You know, maybe you already bought a new car, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then you take the deal and the broker gets paid. And nobody ever remembers that, there were a couple other brokers who bid on the business and told you four X right up front that were more ethical, but they right. didn't win the deal. Right. I, I see it all the time. It kills me. Yep. Yeah. I, it's absolutely terrible. And, uh, it is, it is one of the reasons why the small business marketplace is so inefficient. Um, the, the ways that brokers use to, to entice folks to list their businesses is super frustrating for everybody, uh, and unethical. So yeah, it is, is one of the main sources of, um, you know, problems that we have in our market being inefficient. But I always say this too, our market is very inefficient, but it also leads to low multiples. And that's part of what the value is in, in buying a small business is that we are, we are getting these cash flowing businesses or these buyers are getting them at low multiples. That's right. You got to slog, you got to kiss a lot of frogs, but if you can get a deal done and they usually trade it three to four times EBITDA and you can get great returns. That's right. So regardless of how this business is priced, it's priced too high at 10x. EBITDA. Mike, so Michael just stealth joined us. If you're listening to the pod, Michael just stealth hopped on. So welcome Hello. to the pod, Michael. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, dude, I tried to build this business like 20 years ago. Whereas I called it stuff from home and I wanted to sell tortillas from San Antonio because people used to ask me to ship them tortillas. 
uh, and I never made it work. And look at these guys did. They sold chilies over the internet. Okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. So the business that made this work like at more scale is called Gold Belly. Uh, and Gold yeah. Belly's, uh, yeah, so how do you know? So Gold Belly specializes, this is not sponsored by Gold Belly, but I do love it. Uh, they specialize in like local stuff. Uh, I'll put it on the screen. So like mm -hmm. specific restaurant drop ships you their cinnamon rolls or like yeah. cheesesteaks from Pat's Cheesesteaks in Philly or whatever, right? They've got all this local stuff that they send to you. And I think they've built a really good business doing it. Yeah, nice. I, I think they did too. Because if you visit someplace and you or you just know that they have this great food in a certain city that you can't get, you can order it from them. And it's kind of fun. You can browse through it and find a lot of cool stuff. But this seems like a specific brand that somebody, you know, there's some there's some logo here, there's some brand, and it's not just salsas and chili powders. It's like, didn't they say there's some sort of arts and crafts kind of stuff too? I don't know, you know, where the value is here. Is it in the food products or the the other stuff? So uh, Michael was not here and he is here now, but he was not here earlier. And so I was doing my best to per perform my best Michael Girdley impression and sleuth out which business this might be. And I think I found it because Ooh. they committed one of the biggest tells, which is since its founding in 2005, which is a specific year. So now I've got, you know, Taos County, Hot Chili's, 2005 founded, et cetera. And that led me to these guys uh, made in New Mexico. Dot com. Um, and they have, if you just go to kind of their about, their about, they've got a store in Taos, uh, but they also sell all of these different, you know, chili powders, ch chili seasonings. Uh, it doesn't look like very much of it has their own brand name on it. Made oh, in New yeah, Mexico. It no, it seems like they're a little bit more of a retailer, but they've got everything. It's not just food. It's cocktails and barware like soda. They've got home bath and decor that they also sell from New Mexico. So I think this is basically like a New Mexico gift shop, essentially. Yes, that is. I mean, for sure, this uh, the business you found, that is what it is. Now, if that's what the listing is, then it does kind of seem to match up. It's it's less of a food uh, business. We got excited about the picture of the chilies in the listing. So, I mean, good good job to the broker, at least on that, right? He got a good picture. They got us excited. <laughs> I'm pro yes. the chilies aspect. Yes, yes. But it does look like it's more of a gift shop. And then what's the e-com? Because that was in the headline too, Bill. Like, is is this really, when it's a local, you know, made in New Mexico, is that really a great e-com business? I have seen businesses like this where, you know, they have a local retail presence, but 80% of sales are out the back door on Amazon or eBay or whatever. Because there are a lot of brands, a lot of product brands that will not sell to you wholesale unless you're a retail store, hmm. right? They, because they're, and now this, if the brand ever figures this out, sometimes they get mad. Some brands get mad. Some brands don't care, but they'll buy, they'll go, look, we are real. Like this is a picture of our shop in Taos. You know, we're a retail store. We're going to put your product in retail. Great. And then the brand goes, man, they must do a lot of volume at that little storefront in Taos, right? But actually it's going out the back door on Amazon or eBay or Etsy or a combination of both. And I've seen a lot of businesses that do really well with like the token storefront. The problem though, of course, is the token storefront is required, right? You can't, yeah. you know, a, a naive per business buyer would come in and go, why am I paying all this rent? I just look at it, it's losing money hand over fist. The e-com business is the good part, let's close the store, right? And they come in and do that and they don't realize that over the next year, they start losing all of the products that they were able to carry that made them unique. 
This episode of Acquisitions Anonymous is sponsored by Acquisition Lab. Acquisition Lab uh, and their team, they've been longtime supporters of the pod, and they provide a really great service for people who are looking to acquire a business. So it's created by Walker Dybel, who's become a friend, uh, the author of Buy Then Build, How to Outsmart the Startup Game. Uh, so Acquisition Lab's an accelerator with a highly vetted, cohort-based educational and support community for people who are serious about buying a business. So a lot of our listeners like you, you tune in every week to our deal reviews. You want to get in on buying a business. Uh, you know, you're on this podcast because you're trying to learn how to buy a business. But if you're not quite sure where to start, Acquisition Lab is a great place to start. So they exist to help people buy a business and to navigate all those complexities of the process, everything you hear us talking about on the show. They provide a proven framework, tools, and resources that support you all the way from search to close. Uh, they do it. There's a whole bunch of educational material. Uh, and support. So if you're serious about buying a business, check out acquisitionlab.com, or you can actually email the program director, uh, Chelsea Wood, directly. Her email is chelsea at buythenbuild.com. Interesting. And it's less than a 20% margin. So like, like, what should the margin be on the retail versus the e-com here? Like, is that a tell too, what the, what the overall margin is? I think it's probably roughly the same because the problem here is because it's not their products, they're buying it probably at Keystone, so 50% off retail. So you start with a 50% gross margin, mm -hmm. which is just not that great. And then a lot of these things they're selling, look at these price points, $10.95, $8.99. Like, that's just really hard to make work because you've got five bucks of shipping in any order. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so like, I'm sure this is really good stuff, but like, this is why food on the internet is just so hard. I would, if I were looking at buying this business, uh, come in and say, could I turn this into what I'll call the mullet e-commerce business, the retail in the front, e-com in the back type thing, right? So a lot of this stuff, their website here, I just don't think is ever going to do major volume, but where they could do major volume is Amazon or Etsy or eBay. So I would go through the whole catalog here and say, which of these products is not really available on Amazon? Mm. And then I would start listing them on Amazon I would do some keyword research on Amazon to see if there was decent search volume for this stuff and then say, oh, there's a real opportunity here. We could double this business by getting the catalog on Amazon. And after 20 years only being at a million three in sales, what does that sort of tell you? Uh, I think it tells me their e-com is not that strong and that this is mostly a retail operation. Yeah, that's what it would seem to me. I bet it's stable, though. I mean, that. If it's been around for almost 20 years, they got a lease on Main Street in Taos or whatever. Yeah. You know, I bet it's stable and they probably just haven't been able to grow e-com. I mean, just looking at their e-com, like, yes, it is on Shopify, but this, the template, the, just the execution here, like I've seen a lot better. Yeah. So it's really more of a retail that's kind of trying to do some e-com, but, you know, margins aren't great and the volumes just kind of, you know, they, they've taken them 20 years to get to a million three in sales. So uh, might be nice for someone who lives or wants to live in that part of New Mexico. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it's a simple business, um, somewhat simple, I guess, to to run. Um, maybe not overly simple, but, you know, a, a lot of different skill sets might fit in here. Um, but certainly, you know, what kind of multiple should we be paying for something that's only throwing off 227,000? Spoiler alert, it's not 10. Uh, <laughs> right. Let me get my calculator. Uh, you no, might as well 10. buy some T-bills uh, and kill, kill the risk-adjusted return on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. I, yeah. You got to pay a lower price for this. But 
so here would be my case for buying this. If either you already live in Taos or you have another business in Taos, right? So you've kind of got some overhead that you could take out or that you're already doing business in the town. And if you've got like a thesis on turning it into a mullet business and scaling some of these things, if during the diligence you see that they've got a lot of SKUs, they're not available on the internet, putting those SKUs that have good followings and that move through the store, I just say like, what are your top 50 sellers at the retail store? And then I would go through one by one, look at the keyword volume for each on Amazon and, and Etsy and eBay even, and then say, can I also run some Facebook ads to people who have recently been in Taos or like Taos or location-based to people who are in Taos right now, right? And you could even just dabble a little bit. And even if you grow the, the net from 225 to 400, right? If you don't mind being in Taos, it's a great deal. Yeah. If you pay what multiple though? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't pay 2.2 million no, for this. No, you have to pay a lot less. This to me is priced at the, this is the remaining balance on my mortgage, or this is how much money I need to retire or whatever it might be. Like you see this all the time. Like this price makes no sense for this business. It's also like oddly specific. It's 2.2 million, 74,998. Like, Oh, like some financial planner has said, if you had this money in the bank, you would never have to work again. And they're like, oh, well, then I'll just sell my business for that amount of money. Well, it doesn't quite work like that. But I see that pricing strategy, strategy in quotes, all the time. Well, it could be an interesting small deal for somebody. And as if they, you know, if you, if you could get this at the right price, a low, you know, I, I don't know, uh, maybe a million dollars at the most, you could just definitely get an SBA loan. Definitely. That's a, that's a small SBA loan. Uh, you put, you know, your 10% down, you have a little bit of a seller note. Um, there's lots of lenders who actually are, uh, find it much easier to make small acquisition loans. I find that interesting because actually the data suggests, or not suggests, the data tells us that small acquisition loans actually perform more poorly than large because small businesses, the smaller you are, the more risky it is. And the more, you know, a small bump in the road can actually be devastating. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, just the human nature, a lot of lenders and banks still just feel better with a lot of small loans than larger loans. So it wouldn't be too hard to get an SBA loan on this. Yeah. I mean, to me, if I'm going to be an SBA borrower, I want to go buy a business that if, you know, if a million dollars is going to put me into the poorhouse, if the business fails, I might as well buy $5 million because the poorhouse destination is still the same thing. So I would definitely, I don't know. It's a very meta conversation about, especially with the numbers that you talk about, Heather, like if you're going to go all in, like go all in for the biggest potential upside and the biggest quality business typically because the loan is bigger. So yeah, the, size the business is quality is absolutely night and day from the really tiny ones to the big ones. The tiny ones are buy a job. And and actually the transition risk to buy a job is a lot worse than or are more difficult than the transition risk to buy a team and, you know, kind of step into it in the executive role. So um, there's a lot of things to consider, but it's just human nature. The lenders think this way sometimes and the buyers think this way sometimes that, that it's safer to go small. Um, yeah. It might be, but, you know, statistically on average, it really isn't. And Michael, you're saying that if you're going to default on a million dollar loan or a $5 million loan and declare personal bankruptcy, either way, you still end up with zero and the bank writes off the loan, but there's far more upside in buying the bigger business. Go balls to the wall. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just game theory wise, you should do that. I mean, the very first choice is don't default on the loan. 
<laughs> so, yeah, I yes. will do that. That's a, I'm going for that. <laughs> if you're going to borrow money, pay it back. Yes, do that. If you end up, things go horrible, you know, then, you know, if you're going to go bankrupt one way or another, you might as well swing for the fences while you're doing it. But anyway, pay back your loans, people. That's, that's point number one. Please, if you're going to take away anything, do that. And they do, by the way. I have statistics on my website. I'm I'm just about to refresh and I finally got my new data, but it's still low. Um, I've got a whole blog post on the SBA default rate just for acquisition loans, where we separated them out from all the other SBA loans. And it's it's like currently it's 1.35%. So wow. That is really low. How yeah. does that compare to typical Main Street lending? So it, I mean, I'll, I'll give the comparison. The not the other the general SBA pool is one point nine five currently. So the acquisition loans actually have a lower default rate than all the other SBA loans um, that are used for real estate and some a little bit of startup. But honestly, there's really not a lot of startup lending in SBA. Most lenders don't do it. So yes, the acquisition loans are safer. And I know this gets debated a lot on Twitter, and people tend to have a negative. Uh, impression that all these people are buying businesses that they don't have experience or whatever it is. The reality is they are safe loans and they are safe bets. And it, I, it all goes, you know, frankly to me down to the multiples at these multiples, that amount of leverage actually does work safely. It's, and it doesn't you know, mean, of course, people are making a ton of money. It just means they're not defaulting. That's the other side of the argument. Like how many of those that are that are not defaulting are not doing great. They're struggling or whatever that I couldn't tell you, you know, there's no statistic for that. Um, I could just tell you anecdotally a few, you know, sure. But I, I, I don't think it's widespread that um, most of them are struggling. Are the SBA real estate loans also personally guaranteed? Yes. Every SBA loan has a full personal guarantee of at least one person. Are the SBA real estate loans a higher loan to value than acquisition loans usually? No, they're they're about this a little bit higher. Like they'll usually be ninety percent loan to value, but the DSCR required by the lenders is lower. They they will take more risk as a lender because they have collateral. So if you default, they're not going to lose everything. They're going to go ahead and liquidate your real estate and come out pretty much whole. Uh, so they'll go in with a lot skinnier DSCR than they will on a uncollateralized acquisition loan. And I would also imagine that if you're the lender and you know there's hard real estate and you know it's worth it, you go, screw it, let's foreclose, let's liquidate, let's end this thing. But if it's an acquisition loan, you look at it and you go, if I foreclose, what do I have? Like if I foreclose, I go to zero. Like it's much better to, to work out with this person and keep them out of default, et cetera, right? Right, but not only to a point. The SBA actually forces lenders in the program to give leeway and not just pull the plug. We, we don't have covenants. We don't have financial covenants that, you know, they can just call it a day. You have to really be not paying for at least 90 days uh, on whether it's real estate or business acquisition before the lender can actually commence the liquidation. Um, and most, and with acquisition loans, they'll usually give you another 90 days, like you said, to kind of work it out, to yeah. give you some chance. Yeah. I feel like that's the thing that people, like borrowers don't understand. Like, People are like, oh, if I miss one payment or if I even flinch that, you know, I can't pay it, the bank's going to take my business and my house. Like it almost never works that way. Like some default rate or some workout rate, like it's built into your pricing. It's always better to go to the lender and go, I can't pay. I need a six month payment holiday. I need to restructure my loan. I need to do something so I can have some breathing room to turn this thing around. Yes. 
right? And people don't realize that's the case. Like it's fun. Like they will probably make you feel like a bad person, but at the end of the day, like you're built into their model. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And some of them don't even make you feel like a bad person. It's really not as daunting as people make it out in their mind. If you just are honest with your lender, hey, I'm having, even before that you can't make the payment, where you can just start to see the problem developing and you communicate with the bank, it's going to be much easier. You're going to get the leeway that you need most almost all the time. Um, so yes, absolutely. Don't go hide um, or go into denial. Um, just talk to your bank. It's always better. Always I talked to... I talked to a bankruptcy attorney probably six to nine months ago. And um, the guy shared, most people do the exact opposite of what you're talking about. Like things start to go wrong. And instead of being transparent with the lender, like they're like, they keep it a secret and like start bullshitting them and like start like not sharing what's going on. And he said, look, the thing that every borrower should be doing instead, assuming you're dealing with a credible like lender, this, you know, there's these vulture lenders who are people that loan to own, like those are, they're a different story. Um, They're more like loan sharks than they are real lenders. Real lenders don't want to own your business. Real lenders don't want to foreclose on it. Real lenders just want to get their money back plus interest. And their job is often to work with you. And I've had banks just say like, look, we just don't want to take a loss on this. Like that's what we're optimizing for. And like, that's what they mean. Like, they just want to get paid back. They don't want to be in the business of owning a chili, <laughs> an online chili sales e-commerce thing in Taos. They, they they have no interest in that. They just want to, they want to clip their coupons and go from there. So if there's a takeaway from all this. It's like, look, just be transparent with your lenders, be totally open. And if you do that and are proactive about it, like you'll get much more leeway than you think. There's no reason to keep stuff a secret. Yeah, you're right. And most people, the human nature is just, the, the, there's a denial um, that, that tends to happen. But the uh, I, I, I think the banks are a little bit responsible for that. To your point, Bill, sometimes, you know, if they if they employ really harsh speaking um, special assets managers instead of kind of cooperative ones, it, it does scare people off. That's not, it's not in the bank's best interest to do that. It's in the bank's best interest to make you feel okay about coming forward. And I think more and more, I see people like that um, you know, in the special assets groups and they are not scary like they kind of used to be. Well, then the, the best strategy is don't get into the distressed. <laughs> don't get, don't, don't get yourself into that group and your banker and folks like that. They'll work with you. Like I've just, I've just seen it yeah. over and over again. So absolutely. They're, but they're if not you do, theater. don't do anything rash or horrible just to reach out to your lender. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel like this part of the podcast should have the NBC thing where it's like, the more you know, <laughs> the thing from the 80s. Exactly <laughs> Thank you for listening right. to our lecture about borrowing money. Just pay yeah, it Well, back. I'll mention in the intro so people know to hang around through our chili discussion <laughs> to, get to, to get to the public service announcement. Uh, there, I mean, at some point on the podcast, it would be fun to have a discussion about the irrational way many people approach the concept of debt and how some people don't understand the difference between good debt and bad debt and how debt can be used, you know, in good situations and can also be used in dumb situations. And I think some of that is just like the Dave Ramsey religion. And I understand why Dave does what he does because it's good radio to just have a very hardcore view on stuff. And also most people can't understand how debt can be good and bad at the same time, just like they can't understand that your house can be both an investment uh, and at a cost center at the same time. Like, but people are not good at holding two concepts in their mind at once. But anyway, maybe I just had the whole discussion with myself and yeah. I agree with me. So thank you guys. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you agree with you. That's it's terrible when you don't. <laughs> yeah, I think at I'm At least right. you're internally yeah, consistent. 
<laughs> I'm consistently agree with what I have to say. <laughs> All right. You guys want to wrap this one up? Anything else? Oh, no, I have a few more rants about debt. And uh, yeah, do you want to hear what I think about organic food next? <laughs> Let's let's do an organic food business next time and we'll tee you right up. <laughs> All right. Great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Acquisitions Anonymous. We will see you next time.